Hey everybody, welcome to MindRise. I am your host, Ian Philo. This podcast is designed to help find solutions to everyday mental blocks. Its goal is to provide you with the tools to rise and break through your own barriers. In the game of life, we can be our own worst enemies. I created this podcast in response to my own battles with my mind. Instead of sinking further down, join me to commit to a more positive perception of ourselves and those around us. Thank you everyone for joining me on another episode of the Mind Rise podcast. I am your host, Ian Philo, and today I have with me a guest, um, Alex Sierpatowski. I went to school with him, and he has been on the podcast before. It has been a little bit, um, at least several episodes, so I'm super stoked to have him back on and for him to share some, some things with us today. The topic that we are going to be speaking on um, is kind of multifaceted. Essentially, we're going to be talking to Alex about game design and the process of game development. Um, he went to CIA for game design, and he is an extremely talented individual, and he is going to have a lot to share with you all today about game design and the process of game development. And we might even throw in a few teasers and little extras about Cyberpunk because that is a new and trending game, and we all know that you have either heard about it or played it yourself. So I'm going to hand it over to Alex, and he's going to talk to us about the process of game design and game development and what his background is in that. So there you go, Alex. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, So let me just start with introducing myself. Um, I am Alex. I am a game designer, as Ian mentioned, and I have worked on a few or various games um, mostly indie. Uh, I've only worked on a few AAA games like uh, Monster Hunter World and whatnot, but um, I have done a lot of work in the board game industry um, where the the indie scene is much more accessible for teams that aren't in California, basically, or like uh, big hubs for video game design. Um, but that doesn't mean I haven't worked on video games myself. Uh, I just have focused mostly on board game design in the local area of Cleveland. Awesome. Awesome. And could you maybe go in a little bit more into um, some of the, the video games that you've worked on? Because we're going to get, we're going to cover board games as well. Um, but in terms of like video game designs and the games that you've worked on, let's start with what, was one of the hardest video games that you had to develop either in school or outside of school and like what kind of goes into that because i think a lot of our listeners you know they they've played video games they understand but like what goes into making a game really so it is a long complicated process that just right, never right. seems to end <laughs> um I would say probably the most in-depth video game I worked on was Project Nightmare, which was my BFA for uh, CIA. Um, I would say it's not my most polished game. However, it is one of the most complicated and most advanced games I've worked on. Um, whereas, like, I would say Project Rocket is a much more complete game, but it is a much smaller, tighter game, which I actually only made in 48 hours. Um, Two days. Yeah. I don't think I remember that. Was that for Global Game Jam? Yeah, I do that every year, which oh uh, unfortunately, I don't know if they're having it this year because of uh, COVID, but um, I am going to be setting a setting two days for myself. If they are or are not, uh, I do that every single year uh, without 
missing a beat. <laughs> wow, and for that um for that game that you created in 48 hours, was there was it just you that worked on it or did you have like a team? So I was the project lead of three other developers, um Stuart Collins, uh a friend of ours uh who also went to school, um and then there was uh an artist and a programmer I worked with um who uh, who did an amazing job. Uh, the artist did the cover art and the programmer basically just pieced everything I asked him to piece together and it was fantastic. Um, I did all the UI interface and Stuart did all the 3D modeling. Um, and I was the one basically directing the the game feel because one of the things that like the difference between a programmer, an artist, and a game designer is that an artist can make a pretty game, but it might not feel fun. A programmer might make a functionally amazing game, like Sudoku, but it's not pretty. And then the game designer comes in the middle and kind of mixes these two elements together and makes an experience that you can, like, remember. Or at least that's how a really good game designer should be. Um, and I think that is one of the, the most important elements, which I think a lot of... AAA studios underappreciate. Um, I don't think they understand how important it is to implement those two elements, the art and the programming. Because really, game design at its core is one of the most, like, it's a new medium, it's a new dimension of medium. Whereas, like, books are read, movies are watched, but games are experienced. And therefore, you really have to take all of the elements from the, the previous um, mediums and then apply them into this uh, with the addition of like programming and uh, like animation and all that stuff. Yeah, so I think it'd be safe to say that game designers are like basically chefs and the artists and programmers and, and designers give you guys the ingredients to, to make a, a finished piece of work or a finished piece of art, you know, or, or product. In a way, yeah. Um, so a lot of specific like i come from the indie uh world so a lot of my work is um business so what does that yeah so what does that mean to people that might not know like what does indie game mean well indie is actually an interesting topic because right now it's kind of shifting the the terminology of indie because before indie was like oh you were just like one programmer who made a game and nobody noticed but now it's like anybody can make be an indie developer um but really it's just a small team who doesn't have funding from a bigger company i would say whereas a triple a uh is usually like games like from ea 2k games like gta um and then you have kind of this weird gray area this double a area where they're not quite like billion dollar companies but they're also not like they're just bigger than indie studios where they have actual funding um but they're they're in this really gray area, and that's kind of where uh, CD Projekt Red, who is the ones who worked on uh, Cyberpunk, um, come into play. Uh, and so, like, I I am at the indie stage. CD Projekt Red is more double A, and they're I think transitioning into the triple A if they survive through uh, Cyberpunk's drama. And then you have EA and Bethesda, which are all triple A, who are enormous studios. Um, like 2k games and warner brothers and all that stuff mm, so so what did you cd project red was was double a you said yeah i would a lot of people would call them triple a at this point um i kind of give them the benefit of the doubt of being a double a because 
for example, they have about 800 employees currently, um, but like 2K Games, uh, the people who meet, made GTA, are about 1,600 uh, people um, working on that, that game. So you can kind of see it's like half the size of, uh, of the studio. Oh, absolutely. Um, for yeah, example... An... Oh. No, I was, I was just going to say, like, like, in terms of studio size, like, it's crazy how many uh, people it takes to produce and direct and create a video game. Absolutely. Um, and that's really why I stick to board games, because it's much more accessible for a indie studio to make and produce a board game, especially as more of a art-focused game designer, because I do know how to program. However, my strengths are much more sided on the game or on the visual um, versus the programming. I know how to guide a programmer. Um, and I know enough about programming to be able to talk to a programmer. It's just I'm much slower at it. So I I take what I'm really good at, which is graphic design and uh, game feel, and mix those together, which is essentially just board game design. Um, which there is actually a significantly uh, big market for board games right now because of COVID. And also, I think people just like to interact physically with each other like they like talking over uh dice rolls and uh, like card plays and stuff like that i don't think the board game industry is as small as people think it is yeah no that's a good point i think i think a lot of people um you know there's there's an obvious gravitation to video games because it's more at, at times more uh you get more enveloped in it. It's more exciting. It's it's a larger world. There's so many missions to complete, so many tasks that you have to do. Um, but I, I really think I agree with it. I think board games are on the rise, not only because of you know the coronavirus and, and quarantine, but because I, I think a lot more people are having an appreciation for like uh, yeah, like community and, and like art around surrounding board games and other things along that matter. Um, because even me, like I, I used to never really be that into board games, but there's been so many unique and awesome, um, games that have been created in the past decade. Like I own, you know, a number of them now just because like, they're so fun and so quirky and like, it, it beats just like playing a solo mission on Halo for like 10 hours sometimes, even though like, I love that, but yeah, there's definitely different things you, you take away from each, each game medium. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I find it interesting because uh, board games and video games, video games are almost more solitaire than board games. Board games really do require someone else. There are some board games designed for solitaire, but play, um, which is like single player uh, game modes. And even though you're playing multiplayer on video games, it's very rare that you have like a social interaction where you're working, you're working cooperatively or cooperatively. Um, Monster Hunter World, for example, uh, is a very cooperative game. However, 90% of the game usually is just you quietly sitting on mic and if you're on mic with a Discord group or you're uh, playing with random people who you really don't want to talk to. Like there's a, unfortunately the game um, industry is like or not the game industry but like the the player base for games it can be real toxic just because a lot of energy is going oh, into yeah. games and Absolutely. people just get so emotionally invested in something and then they get angry <laughs> yeah. and have to just yep. spew it uh unfortunately people don't know how to uh communicate their their energy when yeah. they're 
project projected in front of them. But when you sit in front of a board game, it's a little bit different because you can't just start swearing off on the friend next to you because they might just punch you in the face or uh, right. walk away, flip table or, you know, all the good, uh, all the good interactions. Yeah, um, no, I totally, I totally agree with that. I was, I was going to say something along the same lines, like video games are great. You know, we all love them. They're, they're so incredible, the, the time and the effort and graphics that go into these things. But again, it, does, it doesn't necessarily induce a healthy online community because we can't see each other. We're all just going to, you know, be prone to dehumanize the other person and, and spew hate. And if we get frustrated, we don't have a problem calling them all these expletives. But yeah, if we're playing a board game with our friends and they're around the table, like, we might not be so bold. So if anything, I think board games are great because they encourage healthy community, healthy relationships that they, um, even for kids, like they, they encourage kids to be able to learn how to cope with, with winning or losing and, and how to like strategize things. They're, they're fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I find it really interesting to see how, uh, like there is no, uh, it's much easier to lose in a board game, I would say, than, like, a sport or whatnot. Like, I know some people have a hard time competing, but when you throw them in front of a board game, they get real competitive. And it's interesting right. to see them them shift because it's, like, one moment they're, like, I could care less if I win or lose. But then, like, they'll they'll get so invested in a board game that they're, like, everybody's, like, get out of here. Um, but now I'm like, I'm playing, uh, one of my favorite board games specifically are tabletop RPGs. Um, one mm -hmm. I actually work on is called Emberwind, uh, and it's kind of like, uh, D and D, but, um, we've refined, uh, we've refined it down to the core mechanics of D and D. So it's super easy to jump in. It's like baby's D and, uh, baby's first D and D. Um, but then there's also modularity where you can get a lot more complex. And this is a really cool integration because I have people come over or I do online sessions where uh, I can actually talk to like my friends and stuff and we play through a very casual game and I've had a lot of new people who have never played like an RPG game before. Um, get really invested in a way that they never knew they would. A lot of people think d and is like, oh, it's for the nerds. But um, honestly, it's one of the most like socially interactive games that I have ever interacted with because it gets people to get out of their comfort, uh, like their, their like shell. Um, and if they want to, they can expose a side of them that they're not usually allowed to expose in public. And a lot of people are very uncomfortable with acting and singing and whatnot. So it allows an easy flow for people to be like, oh, hey, I can act a little bit more. And because everybody else is being goofy and silly and we're all terrible at acting, it's very fun to sit around the table and act together as like these goofy characters uh, fighting dragons and uh, walking through like mystical dungeons. And the fun part, one of the best parts about D&D &D and Emberwind is that there's no rule book that holds you tooth and nail. Like some, there are some people who do like keep all the notes and read the rules, uh, from bullet point to bullet point, but um, it's it, it is a, a a tool that allows freedom of creativity and imagination, and I think it's something that a lot of people don't experience and definitely should. Um, but there are a, it is a really hard thing to get uh, into if you don't have like a guide to show you how to get into it. 
No, yeah, that's that's I mean that's great information. I really I think RPGs and tabletop games like that are great because I think we all get so caught up with acting like tough and like like we have to have our stuff together all the time and and those games you like you were saying they really do allow like a freedom of expression and a freedom of like creativity and like when everyone else is doing it it you know you don't feel as awkward you don't feel as weird and it's I think that's great you know it's I mean we see drama classes in high school um you know all these other extracurricular activities but if someone doesn't want to join up with that in their school you know they could just play a tabletop RPG Dungeons and Dragons sort of game and just have fun. And it doesn't even have to be like, if you're not interested in like the topic of fantasy, it doesn't have to be fantasy. You could literally have it anything you want. That's the coolest part about it. Like if you want cyberpunk setting, you can do it in there. Uh, I could even run through a real quick, like uh, one line session. It's like uh, you're walking, you're walking through a forest and you're wearing like a warm coat. You have a backpack. It's kind of a fall summer day as you crunch through the leaves uh, and you see something scurry in front of you. Uh, give, what would you do? And, uh, that's basically where I open it up to. And I might have you roll a dice to determine, uh, if you noticed the thing that scurried in front of you, or I might just be like, did you notice it? And you can tell me if you wanted to notice it or not. Um, and from there we would just keep going on through the story. And it's really natural if you have someone who's, uh, super creative and, how to explain a uh like explain a world and environment so on on like the game that you're creating emberwind um so technically what's the specific genre is it like rpg like role-playing game so the emberwind specifically is actually an engine it's it's sort of like a game engine it like allows you to build your own stories however we've created a bunch of pre-made stories for you to walk through which are sort of like a choose your own adventure that's how we're able to make it a one to five player game so you don't need a dm to play this game you can actually sit around the table and pass the book around and everybody can experience the game uh being like a dm or and when i say dm a dungeon master or a uh like a storyteller um the person who's guiding everybody uh normally D- uh D has a dungeon master who knows all the rules and everything before the game starts well in emberwind it actually allows the players to experience the story together so there doesn't need to be one dedicated player who knows everything you can all kind of fumble through the game together which is a one of the designs that we really push on um because we want this to be as accessible as possible to get people into this uh genre of gameplay because i i really think it's a lack of uh or there's a lack of people who can get into it because they don't have that guide with them so basically we designed a book to be that guide for you oh that's really cool and is it is it going to be available like for purchase are you going to release it to the public or it is currently uh we've been on market for the past three years um oh nice. we yeah we have a bunch of interactions we have two books uh live and then we have a book um we have our third book which is a hero creator which allows you to create your own monsters and heroes and stuff um and then anything that we release to the public is all free so like if we release new monsters you don't have to buy like another book to look at a new monster you basically just get the you get the hero manual you get the main story and that's all you need to uh get started to play the game for basically the rest of time um 
And then uh, any updates or content support, all our DLC is free. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and towards the end, um, I'll be I'll be including a link in the description um, to your content. So. Yeah, uh, it'll so specifically Emberwind is emberwindgame.com. and then um, I'm working on my own game uh, with Nomnosaur Games, who is the uh, the owner of Emberwind. Um, so I'm collaborating with them to make a game called Snack Attack. And yes, kind of- and before before we get into Snack Attack, because I absolutely love it, I'm just like okay. I'm so obsessed with the character. I just want to like. If you guys sell shirts, I'll seriously buy one. Just saying. Um, but anyways, before we get into Snack Attack, I just had a couple questions. Absolutely. I was wondering, I was wondering if you could um, sort of draw out for people um, in a easy to understand to to your best to the best of your ability way. Um, what really goes into like the production of a video game versus the production of an RPG or a board game and like what artists are included in that. And during this process, um, whether it be a board game or video game, is there anything in particular that just like you, you've ever ran into that is really difficult or you've faced a situation where, um, there was like a huge setback and you have no idea how you're going to finish the game, whether it's, it's that someone on your team dropped off or, a deadline or anything anything of that matter so again just to to reiterate like what what's the main difference production wise that goes into a video game versus a board game and have you had any like huge major setback in the production of either of these things in your career so far okay so i'm gonna break this down um a little bit easier uh i'm gonna just start off with what's the difference between a board game and a video game Um, I kind of talked about this earlier where a board game is much more design oriented. It's the thing I like about board games is it's really focusing on the game design and the quality of the game. You don't have programming interrupting and having bugs to fix, which is definitely Mm. part of game design. It's just I much more enjoy the the core mechanic of gaming Um, and Game or board games really allow you to focus on that without having to spend half your development time just trying to make it work uh, because paper and pencil and dice just already work. You, you, right. you use the physics of the world and boom, your uh, your game is working. Um, so so basically for board games, you have to, to hire less people. There's less that goes into production. Um, and... Yeah. It can you have, be you have less, a smaller um, okay, it's yeah. much more it's much more accessible because while you could argue that it is less uh to do, like Emberwind, we have about fifteen people who've worked on Emberwind. Whereas like uh Among Us, for example, uh has had three to four people working on it. Um That's even it? though yeah, yeah, Among Are you Us serious? Yep. Oh my god. Uh, no Man's Sky was a development team of about 10 people. So when they released and everybody like crapped on them, I felt so bad because it was like there were 10 dudes who were like programmers and like two artists who were like, we just wanted to make a fun game. <laughs> and then Sony was like, hey, look at this amazing game. And they're like, uh, we didn't know that we were going to be this big. <laughs> <laughs> um, So it's really interesting to show the behind the scenes because... Oh, there a lot of indie studios don't have a lot of people. Like, imagine trying to do 
uh, programming, audio engineering, uh, audio creation, um, art direction, uh, animation, uh, texturing, 3D modeling, 3D programming. Like there's all these different steps to uh, video game design and board game design. You still need a lot of those elements because like you need music to uh, run a Kickstarter. You need um, uh, you need. Uh, like art to help promote your game. Obviously, you want good art on the game. You need graphic design. You need good writing to make sure the rules are uh, clearly explained. Uh, one thing that I really uh, like make a point of is making sure that my rules are clear and that my gameplay is functionally very fun. Um, it is something that a lot of game, board game developers overcompensate, and that's what actually scares a lot of people away because they get this big rule book of all this information, and they're like, I don't know where to begin. Um, oh, where yeah. I like I mean, to... it's, it's, I think that's not only for board games, it's for like a lot of, a lot of things. I mean, even, even, uh, just to get a quick segue and we'll, and we'll go back i mean to to the video games and even even car manuals dude it's like we've gotten how far and in, into you know advancement in technology and, and we're still giving people like half inch thick owner's manuals like mm-hmm. <laughs> like filled with like like six point text like come on but well, yeah those are exactly those are all completely designed for functionality and not entertainment. Right. Like gotcha. nobody opens their uh, car manual unless you're like a mechanic and you're really excited <laughs> about the new model of the car. But like nobody goes opens up their mechanic like or their car manual. It's like, oh, I wonder what's on page twenty seven. I know how to change my oil. Like it, nobody's excited about learning about what's in your car. That's more of like a functionality thing. But um, but I mean something to consider i mean a thing a a car like a tesla i mean that's a pretty fun car i don't know if you've ever been in one but yeah that thing's thing's, it's more more of a video game more more of a technological entertainment and and less of a car at some point absolutely uh tesla is actually really interesting because they have hired game designers um to design a lot of their interfaces and layouts um i guarantee you probably half the team has either worked on a game like a video game of some sort or uh has been interacted with the game industry somehow um just because of the nature of the of their company uh because tesla isn't really a car company as much as it's a tech company um yeah oh that's awesome yeah but but going back to the so basically what I was able to gather is like one of the main things that, that sets apart video game production between board game production is in board game production there's like, you know, less of a team involved, probably a smaller, you know, more than likely a smaller budget. Um, you don't have to hire a bunch of animators and and coders and programmers and, and essentially um, you're able to get the, the game out to the public faster than you would a video game just like just like with movies it takes a long time to produce these things right mm-hmm. yeah and a video game you can produce obviously i made one in 48 hours but i could with that same 48 hours what i could have done in a, a board game is uh so much more i could really have refined the game a lot more i could bring it like i could really push a game to an extreme as a board game Whereas a, uh, a video game, I'm limited to like a 2D puzzle game, um, which is still really interesting and fun to play. But it's also uh, not nearly as in-depth as maybe like 
an advanced uh like trading card system or a uh like a, an interesting mechanic that can be replayed a lot more um, enjoyably as well. But video games are also cheaper to produce, uh, obviously. Like, so board games are much more heavy-ended on how to get the board game to the people, whereas video game is much more on focusing on making the game itself. Because once you upload it digitally, people just download and play. Um, whereas board games, it's like, how do I send a box? <laughs> but they still make discs for video games, though. So, like, how is the production cheaper for video games? Oh, uh, discs are cheap. Like, uh, oh, the okay. actual box and disc, um, you can order like a, you could order ten thousand of them for maybe a hundred bucks. Um, like, holy crap! <laughs> yeah, no, it, those di- the disc that you buy is not what you're paying for. You're paying for the license that you get right. with the game. Um, okay. So when you actually buy a game, you don't own the game. You own a license to the game, uh, which is a really interesting thing that I could go into uh, maybe on another t- uh, podcast. But yeah. uh, licensing specifically is uh, something that I am very interested in. And one thing that I really support with CD Projekt Red, and this is why I'm really scared about what's going to happen with them in the future, and really just any game studio because of how disastrous what's happened um, a lot of people aren't going to want to touch a project quite like CD Projekt Red because basically CD Projekt Red, their whole company philosophy is uh, the consumer comes first. They don't put microtransactions in their games. They don't uh, DMCA, which is preventing you from copying and pasting your game, meaning while it prevents uh, like as a game designer, I would want you would think I would want DMCA protection, but honestly it allows the consumer to copy and paste it, give it to a friend. And that friend, if they really enjoy the game, if I'm actually making a good product and I'm not just a scummy, uh, like big pro- uh, company, um, then people would want to share that game and actually buy it when they like get it, get a version of it because they're like, Oh crap, this is actually pretty good. I, I actually want to buy this much like a board game. If you walk over to a friend's house, you play a board game with them um, you take your board game home, but then they're like, oh, that was really fun. I want to bring that to my other friends. So then they end up buying the board game and so, like it's that cycle. Um, but that only works if it's a good game. Now, imagine right. if you uh, if you basically said, oh, you can buy this board game, but your friend also has to buy the board game so you can play together and you can't play it in any other way like that. And it's just like. So the, the real real conclusion with this is that CD Projekt Red opens that up. They know a lot about their consumer base, and they don't do shady tactics. They really focus on making a properly good game. Unfortunately, there was a lot of bug updates that were uh, really bad at the launch of CD uh, or Cyberpunk 2077, which is going to terrify a lot of investors and future uh, AAA studios. So they're going to just go into their shady tactics like GTA and Genshin Impact, where they use microtransactions to fund the process. And microtransactions are basically just bringing a casino to your house, which sounds terrible. Like, I, I absolutely am against that, where it sounds like the reason we have casinos and casino laws is because kids shouldn't be playing in casinos. It's manipulative and it uses uh, psychology against people. And it's really powerful psychology. League of Legends, if you, I know a handful of people who have spent over $3,000 on uh, League of Legends and they're. Are you serious? Oh, oh absolutely. 
Well, I think I think I've heard of something similar like that happening with Fortnite. All these kids asking their mm-hmm. parents to buy them skins and other things. It's like, bro, like you're feeding into the microtransactions. It may Stop. be a free game. It <laughs> might be a free game, but the thing is, is you end up spending more money than you would have spent on a sixty dollar title. And CD Projekt Red releases all their games with um, the the idea of you buy the game once and you have a full experience. Granted, right. on this launch, you had a half, you had a almost like a beta experience because not all the bugs were uh, flushed out. But uh, I, I have to say, these guys are working their butts off. They just released a huge patch to fix a huge error that just happened with uh, saving on PC. Um, it's incredible that they're even doing these fixes. They could have just deleted the game and walked away from it, but they're mm. actually spending their Christmas fixing this game so people actually have a good time there is there's no reason for them to do it they they should honestly just walk away from the game and be like well that was a failure we don't everybody hates us everybody gave us death threats um what's the point of them working like why would you want to work if you were getting yelled at the whole time and about your your crappy game you've spent eight years working on (laughs) So right. I'm I'm super admirable of their the uh, of CD Projekt Red. Um, even if it is a buggy game right now, I think they're gonna pull it together and give everybody the game that they were looking for. And speaking of uh, someone who's been working their butts off and is also delivering a wholesome and amazing game, why don't you tell us about Snack Attack? And also before you tell us about the story behind Snack Attack and where it is now. Um, tell me one, if you even had one, I mean, I don't know, but if you've had one major setback in creating this board game. I feel like in the development of the game or in the game industry, anytime you're building a game, everything is a setback. The only time, (laughs) the only time you get things to work is the first five minutes when you come up with the game. You're like, oh, this is a great idea. (laughs) And then you test everything and everything goes wrong from there. Um, but in saying that, that's part of the fun of creating a game. It's coming over those obstacles. Um, as much as I like playing games, I treat making a game like playing a game. Um, it's, I have a puzzle and I have to figure out how to solve it. Uh, if that is something as simple as how do I make this fun or as complicated as how do I get the text, uh, to align on two cards so that people can both understand what, how to play this game, but also aren't overwhelmed with rules and text and lore, uh, so that people aren't like, oh no, I don't want to read all this. Because, um, one of the processes of, or the ideas of Snack Attack is I wanted a game that was super fast to play, super simple to learn, and super, uh, like, accessible by anybody who does uh, uh, come across it. I'm dyslexic and ADD, so it is really hard for me to read a real big rule set. So I went into this game like there's going to be no words on the cards. Um, I think I have successfully done that. Everything is graphical, very similar to like Uno. So this game is only, it's a smaller game, but it packs a lot of punch because there's a lot of complexity within the game. It's not just a uh, like your next Uno game, but it's like Uno with extra rules that are super like refined. Um, it's like mixing Sudoku and Uno together, uh, which is a weird combination, but not like you don't have to know how to count numbers and stuff. You just look at colorful art and you're like, oh, this works. And you play down the card. (laughs) 
Nice. Yeah, no, I mean, from what I've seen, it's a it's a really cool-looking game, and I, I really enjoy the, the art style and illustration and just overall, like, like what it's kind of um, become at this point. And what what's the backstory behind, um, I guess, can you say Nomnosaur is, is that the mascot of the game? What's the backstory behind that character? Well, it's actually interesting because Snack Attack started as a very uh, simple um, B game. It, it was actually a B themed game that was um, all colors, no words, no or yeah, no words, all shapes. Uh, that was one of my goals with the original game design, and I wanted it to be super colorful and super like you just knew exactly what you were holding and you knew exactly how to play the game um, just by looking at the cards. Then uh, we. Then I started working with Nomnosaur Games, and they had a mascot called a Nomnosaur, which is like a little blue dinosaur that likes to eat food, because we as Nomnosaurs um, on the Nomnosaur team like to eat uh, snacks while we're at conventions and whatnot. So we created this character to basically merge with uh, originally what was Nectar Collector, and now it is Snack Attack, and that's kind of like the origin of where snack attack came from and now we've been building it to be super colorful super excessive um i think having the character of the nomnosaur is much more inviting than uh the very graphic design kind of rigid minimalist style that i was going with before um however uh it is always accessible to get the original edition it is on my website um but I definitely suggest just going for Snack Attack. It's a much better... Uh, like, we, we've done so much refinement and improvements on the game. It's uh, really a much better experience. And that was a, probably a three-year process. So this is a super lightweight game for five minutes that took about three years to develop. And we're still not even done developing it. Um, it took three the years. Wow. Yeah. Holy so you can imagine geez. if a simple game like Snack Attack is three wow. years... No wonder Cyberpunk with 800 people took eight years. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, what the, what made it take three years? Just like the refinement or like... It, it's been just fixing bugs, fixing errors, um, mm. making sure that the text is super clear and super crisp and it's as simple and as accessible for first time users as possible. Um, what we will be looking for into the future, hopefully, if uh, people really like the game, uh, we would love to be able to add um, like expansions to the game in the sense that like you can have um, more ways to play it and different like uh, different experiences with the game to just, you know, like once you get your copy, then you have a little bit more to uh, to experience um, because there, there's so much more we can add to this game, but I just wanted to release the most simplest version, uh, just so everybody, you know, like gets into it and understands what they're getting into. So low risk, uh, high reward. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, from what I've seen, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I love what you've been doing. I've, I even watched your YouTube tutorial video on the game. Um, I think it's great, and like I said. Um, remind i mean remind me and other people um when this is it is it officially out for um sale yet or it's you're starting a kickstarter for that yeah so i'm going to be launching a kickstarter uh 
January 5th. Um, that is our date right now. Um, and you can follow me on uh, like Instagram, um, game direction underscore art for any more information or game direction us at Twitter. Um, and like I, I'm posting all the time or if you have any questions, just let me know. Uh, I'd love to uh, answer anything that you have questions, comments, or concerns, because I really do want this to be the best experience for anybody who plays it. Um, and I think that is best done through feedback and just getting it tested. I mean, I've played this game maybe a thousand times already. Uh, and I would even say that's within this year. <laughs> uh, it, it's I, I've seen people play it. I've been like analyzing, updating, and just refining this. So it may not be a very the biggest expansive game like Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, but it is a very tight game, and everything that you play is going to feel uh, really like replayable. Like you're, you'll be able to just pick this up and be like, oh we're waiting for dinner to cook. Let's play five minute game, uh, see who wins. And then, uh, dinner cooks and then you're done and you can just get right off to eating dinner. Um, it might be a good way to get the kids around the table. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's like I said, I, I'm super excited for it. Did you say like retail price? It's going to be around what, what again for consumers? So we're going to be starting it off at $20. Um, and that is, to help uh, development and uh, launching it on stores, uh, we believe that we it is a a twenty dollar experience where you really get to enjoy. Um, like it, it's not something that you'll just leave on your shelf. It's going to be something that you're going to pull off your shelf every so often um, because the games are so quick and uh, so replayable that it's. Not necessarily like, oh, I'll get six hours out of this game in one sitting, which I've actually done. Like I've had people um, on uh, on stream uh, actually play it for an entire six hours because they were like just they, they just got so into it and they started wow. gambling over <laughs> the game. It was actually really fun. Oh, my gosh. Um, for a little innocent little nomnosaur, people gambling money over <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like they were gambling dinner. Uh, they were like, oh, whoever wins the... Three, three out of three, uh, the, the winner gets to, uh, or the loser buys dinner or something like that. I forgot how nice. they, they rolled it out, but it, it was really cool to see them get so into, into it. Everybody was like cheering around the table and everything. Awesome, man. So, I mean, like I said, dude, um, if you could talk to your team and like make a Nomnosaur shirt and like link that in your Patreon somehow or make a shop, dude, I'll, I'd buy one. I mean, I, I absolutely like, I um, like I've, I've watched a lot of your stuff over the years. Don't get me wrong. Um, and it's incredible, but like, I don't know something about this game and the feel to it and, and the illustration and like the style. I just love it, man. <laughs> thanks. Uh, so the one thing that I'm going to say, which might disappoint you a little bit, is that we probably won't be doing t-shirts like right off the bat, but right, that's mostly yeah. because we want to focus on making the game as best as we can before we start over, like looking into too many things and overwhelming ourselves because right, t-shirts right. uh, can get a really complicated, which deteriorates from like the actual experience that people might uh, get out of it. So instead of me spending a lot of time looking into how to manufacture t-shirts, I'd much rather learn how to manufacture um, or like learn how to manufacture the game so that you get the highest quality game for the lowest uh, price. No, yeah, absolutely. And if if it's something that I'm really hard pressed on, and I need to like 
have an under the table conversation with you or one of your team. Oh, members, absolutely! I'll send I'm you sure. a shirt. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, dude. I mean, I, I think it's great, and uh, I'm gonna link your your RPG and your Patreon for Snack Attack in the description for this podcast. Um, well, I don't have a Patreon. I have a Kickstarter. Oh, um, Kickstarter. My bad. Yeah, no okay, problem. Yeah. Yep. So I will link those in the description and um, also your social media as well. So people will get in contact Absolutely. with you if they have questions about game designers want to learn a few things. Yeah, I am super open about answering questions. Like if anybody asks me a question, I am just too excited to not answer. <laughs> um, and at this point, uh, I am uh, really like I do a lot of, like I am currently working on projects right now so like i'm always working but if you have any questions about specifically game design or the industry um i just love answering stuff like that it's one of my favorite things to do heck yeah well everyone keep your eyes out for snack attack whenever that hits the markets i know i'm super stoked about it and i will keep you guys that follow me on social media updated once um alex releases his his kickstarter so I think it's great. I think what he's doing is great. Um, it's cool to be connected with fellow creatives out of college and to see what they're doing outside of that um, environment that we once were in. So thanks again, Alex, for agreeing to do this interview. And I, I know you have so many things to talk about. I'm definitely going to have you on again um, over to talk about different things. But thank you for taking the time out of your day to share with us your knowledge. Absolutely. And thanks for having me on. Uh, it, so it was a pleasure. Awesome, man. Well, take it easy and have a good day.